You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. And so God, we come to you and we are just so thankful that we are able to worship you that together we can join together as the body of Christ at Hope Kelowna as well as have other guests come in and join us who perhaps have never even uh, worshipped with us at the movie theater before. But what a great opportunity is to join together as the body of Christ in this way. And God, we invite you into our lives in a new way today, in a fresh way. We have to do this every day. We have to choose. Choose today to follow. Choose today to bring you into the trial. Choose today to live lives of generosity. Choose today to live lives of purity and holiness. And so God, we invite you into this and we pray that that together we would be rooted and built up in you during this time. That our faith would be firmly established in you and we would be abounding in great thanksgiving. And so God, would you meet us here as we open your word and then as we end in worship. Oh God, I pray that then our lives would reflect a changing disposition in our hearts, a changing disposition in our actions, in our attitudes, and that you would do a profound work in each one of us through your spirit, by your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, as we continue in this series called Gloriously Generous. And and, uh, we have been looking each week at God's glorious generosity to us. Each week that we've been in this series has been marked by a certain symbol. And and you'll see those symbols just on the screen there. And Brett last week preached on the the aspect of worship that, that, that God, because of his glorious generosity to us, our response to him is worship. And today we are going to be going on and talking about being gloriously generous in our giving. We're going to talk about grace giving today. And yes, we're talking about money. And and, uh, as we were planning and talking through this series a number of months ago, and the elders giving some direction in this, this was all planned before COVID-19 was even on our doorstep, before it was even a thing that we were facing. And so in the last number of weeks, I can honestly tell you, I've been uneasy about preaching these next number of weeks uneasy about preaching and teaching about the area of money and giving in the midst of a pandemic. I mean, come on. Don't you have something else better to preach on? And, and talking especially about money when things seem so uncertain. I mean, even people right now, and one of the fears is, is that as some of you have just heard that we're going to be talking about money, we're going to see the live stream um, views all of a sudden start to drip, not drip, but drop. All of a sudden, uh, now people are going to like, oh, we're going to mute this one, or uh, we're going to fast forward, or we're going to shut this one off. We're not going to uh, listen to this. Don't need any of that. But yes, you do. You need to hear this. This is so vital and so important, I believe, for our church, for our community, for our lives, and for God's blessing in and through us. And so uh, one of the things, too, that has caused me to be a little skeptical about doing this is that we also have a greater reach, that, that people who normally wouldn't come to church in the movie theater where we usually meet, uh, they would never show up or, or haven't yet done that. Um, this message, the topic of money could upset them or, or just kind of come to their conclusions once again. Yep, the church is just after our money. Because sadly, you see, so many people oftentimes associate church 
and money with some of these kind of TV preachers. Some of these TV preachers that have made um, a lot of money. And these prosperity, these false teachers are clearly after your money. They're about building their kingdom here on this earth. Their lifestyle, their lavish spending. This does not at all reflect biblical characteristics of a godly leader or a godly pastor or a Bible teacher. And so they have painted us as believers and Christians and the church in some very bad light. And, and, and so we want to clear up some of those misconceptions. I asked the elders a number of weeks ago for prayer in this as well as their thoughts and their direction about this and I appreciated their wisdom and together we agreed that this is actually a very good time to talk about biblical, about grace giving. Not legalistic, pound the pulpit, give, that guilt kind of get that vein, you know, in your forehead, red in the face kind of thing that sadly sometimes churches can be known for and, and kind of the mindset that people have. And you know what, quite honestly, one of the things we were very thankful for in, in our recent elder meeting is that we're not preaching out of a place of desperation. For us as a church, we praise God for that. We are so thankful and we are so blessed that our giving has remained steady during this time. Where some churches and ministries and businesses and things are, are really tanking, we're just so thankful that through your generosity, through God's goodness, that, that our giving has remained uh, encouraging during this time. So thank you for that. And, and soon the finance team that has been newly established uh, will soon be issuing kind of a giving update so you can be caught up in that, and that will be in the e-news soon. You see, God's word teaches, though, and this is why this is so important, that we are to be accountable, and we will be accountable one day for how we have lived our lives here on this earth, how we have handled our treasures, how we have handled our time, as well as the talents that God has, has given to each one of us. Are we stewarding it for God's kingdom? And so oftentimes we'll talk about spending our God time and serving and, and using our talents, but we also need to touch on our treasures about our finances you see money will constantly be a struggle for every one of us it will be whether you have a little or whether you have been blessed with a lot of money and sometimes that blessing of a lot of money is not a blessing sometimes believe it or not is a blessing to have less but we always need to keep checking our hearts in this area you see no one just automatically drifts into a great place when it comes to generous giving and handling our finances. We will drift without a problem into not handling our money properly, not handling our, our money biblically, but God's word is so clear how we are to handle money, the attitude that we are to have towards it. And so it's important that you get to hear this and, and, and whether you are a regular part of Hope Bible Church or you're checking things out online locally or whether you are watching in other places, this is an important truth for believers in Christ. And I hope that today we'll clear up some of the false teaching and the misconceptions about money. For those of you who are watching and, and perhaps are, are skeptical or cynical, that you would see that the church isn't out after the money. That's not what we're all about. We're not all about the collection plate. And for believers in Christ today, that by his word and by the spirit of God, we would all examine our lives, we would repent where necessary, and be moved to generous, grace-filled givers. And that this would be applied in all areas of our lives, including 
our finances. Now, I want to say from the outset that wealth, savings, retirement, investing, having nice things, it's not wrong. We don't preach a poverty gospel here. We don't preach a prosperity one, but we also don't preach a poverty gospel. What is so important is how we handle our finances, how we handle what God has given to us, our attitude and our heart towards it. That is what is of utmost importance. What is it that has our affection? Whose kingdom are we building? Is it all about our our kingdom here on this earth, our name, our reputation, our status, our amount of, uh, of investments and, and whatever that might be. As you can see, that can be gone in no time at all whatsoever. It can go up in flames. It can go down with the market. We can think we're so secure and standing and yet not be. But the kingdom of God is eternal. God's kingdom is almighty. It is everlasting. And God takes care of his children. Now, a little context here for the passage that we're going to be working through here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We need to understand the context. The Apostle Paul wanted to receive and take an offering to the church in Jerusalem. And and we have a map of that here. You see Jerusalem in the bottom right-hand corner. And so he wanted to go throughout Macedonia, Asia Minor, and you'll see some of the other cities that we're going to refer to. Now, there's other cities and other regions that that he visited and went to, but he was collecting money from all the churches for the church in Jerusalem. And so you need to understand what was going on in the church in Jerusalem at this time. Not only was there a severe famine in the nation of Israel, the Christians in Jerusalem, those who converted to Jesus Christ, who left Judaism, were facing great trial and persecution. You see, to become a Christian, to become, and and they didn't have that word back then. Back then it was a follower of the way. The way meaning Jesus is the way. No longer do we need to fulfill all the Old Testament requirements and, and all that because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament and Jesus is the Messiah. And so they were followers of the way. To be a follower of the way meant that you would oftentimes lose your job, you would lose your opportunity even to buy and sell in the marketplace, as well as even even more terrifying and more kind of discouraging is, is to be disowned by your own family and friends and to be off on your own or to be together at least with other Christians. And so being a Christian in the early church in Jerusalem, they were under great pressure Times were tough for them. And so the Apostle Paul, as he went on his missionary journeys towards the end of his second and his third journey, he was presenting opportunities for the churches in Macedonia and Asia Minor to go and to be able to take an offering and support and encourage the work in Jerusalem. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, the longest sections we have in the New Testament when it comes to our our finances, when it comes to giving, Paul is reminding the Corinthians of this offering. You see, he had presented it to them when he sent Titus with 1 Corinthians, the book or the letter of 1 Corinthians. And, And you see that outlined in 1 Corinthians 16. That would be a great passage for you to write down and to read this next week. And so there he presented an opportunity for the church in Corinth to give to the church in Jerusalem. But here, over a year has gone by, and they still did nothing about it. And so today in chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 to 9, we are going to see 
Paul giving a description of what grace, not guilt, giving is like in the life of a Christian. And so the first thing that grace, not guilt giving is, is a response to God's amazing grace. Look at verse one. It says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. Now, the word grace is used four times in the verses we're going to be looking at today. And, and actually, the word favor in verse four is actually in the Greek, the word grace itself, again, because grace has just a number of meanings and, and aspects to it. And so the word favor in verse four also means grace. So five times the word grace is used here. Now the word grace ultimately means unmerited favor. It means receiving what we do not deserve and what we cannot earn. And we see this ultimately, we see grace ultimately in God's grace towards us. You see, God is the greatest giver. God is a God of grace. John 3.16 beautifully describes what we are talking about. John 3.16 was at the very start of this message series a number of months ago. And, and we see in John 3.16, many of you know it, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God sends his son to this earth, his one and only son. Jesus Christ, the son of God, came willingly, left the glory, the riches, the beauty, the majesty the, uh, of heaven to be born not in a rich home, not in a mansion, not in a palace, but in a stable and placed in a manger to humble poor parents. And Jesus lived here on this earth, the Son of God, God in the flesh, rubbing shoulders, serving, healing, sinful, hurting, proud, broken, messed up people. And then he died on the cross in our place. He took our, son, took our sin and the punishment, the wrath, the hell that we deserve because of our sin, because of our fallen nature. And in exchange, he gave us his righteousness. He offers us his righteousness. And I love this acrostic for the word grace. I encourage you to write this down. Probably many of you have already seen this or know this. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. God gave his son. Jesus gave himself fully, freely, ultimately for us. But you have to understand his grace is not automatic. His grace is not universal. It is not for everyone here on planet earth. It must be received personally. That's also why it's important. It must be shared. That's why we must preach. That's why we must share and, and communicate God's word and this wonderful truth of God's grace. And you see, it is received and it happens by admitting and confessing to God that we have sinned against him. And that we are willing to repent, meaning turn from our ways and follow God's ways. We're sick and tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired of the rat race of what sin has done in our lives and the guilt and the shame. And it's turning our lives over to him and saying, I want to follow your ways, God, in all areas of our lives. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just, and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from every all unrighteousness. Please hear this today. Whatever sin you have committed, whether it's hidden or whether it's known, and whatever that guilt, whatever that shame, God forgives you through Jesus Christ. You can be forgiven, you can be set free. 
Not through my words, but through the power of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. By believing in faith what he has done. And it's believing by faith. It's receiving his forgiveness through his work on the cross. Seeing that he went to the cross for us. He took our sin and in exchange he gave us his righteousness. And we invite him to be our Lord and our Savior and we turn to him. And John chapter 1, verse 12 says, to all who received him, who believe on his name, he gives them the right, the adoption papers, to become sons and daughters of God. That's the best news ever. That's God's amazing grace. And when that happens in a life, we receive God's unending, matchless, mighty powerful grace in our lives. It's like a pipeline that will never run dry of God's grace, which includes his forgiveness and his mercy and his strength and his joy and his peace, his presence in our lives, his power, the promise, the promise of eternal life. And the list goes on of all that's encompassed in this pipeline of God's amazing grace. And you see, This is what Paul was reminding the Corinthians of. Because this is what Paul is saying. The church in Macedonia, they understood this. They understood this grace. And he's writing to remind them about this church and this grace and experiencing God's amazing grace freed them towards a life of generosity. And and if we skip down to verse 8, Paul is using these other churches that we'll get to in a moment and give a fuller understanding of this, these Macedonians that he's referring to in chapter 1, in verse 1 and 2. Paul is using them as an example. He's not commanding them to do this, but it is as an overflow. Their generosity is an overflow of God's amazing grace. Look at in verse 8 as we jump down there. It says, I say this not as a command, I'm not commanding you. I'm not telling you you have to give. I'm not commanding you, telling you to be generous, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. The riches that Paul is talking about here is not earthly treasures, but heavenly, glorious, eternal Riches of heaven and his presence and his power here on this earth. Grace giving is a response to God's amazing grace. Number two, grace, not guilt, giving is a joyful. It's joyful and it transcends difficult circumstances. Look at verse two. For in a severe test of affliction, Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So on that map, and we'll go back to that map, Paul is writing to, again, the church ultimately in Corinth. Duh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. He's writing to the church in Corinth. And I put a little dollar sign there because... Corinth was a very wealthy church. You'll see Jerusalem there in the corner, but we see Corinth in the south. That is in the south of Greece. There, the economy was booming. Things were going well. It was a wealthy city. People were making money hand over fist. It was a wealthy city. It was a wealthy church filled with wealthy people. 
but they weren't a generous church. They were probably just kind of getting by with bare minimum. And I think in so many different ways that the North American church can be very much like the Corinthian church. Now, now we'll also see it was also a really messed up church. Read 1 Corinthians. There's a lot of stuff going in there. And Paul was really kind of giving it to them and, and, and teaching and warning and, and giving direction about discipline and what to do in different ways. And that even continues in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, in, in 2 Corinthians but I think in many ways, the Corinthian church is very much like the North American church. And just before um, I, I came to preach this um, here today, I just remembered this book in my library by David Platt. It's called Radical. And, and I, I think we're so similar, and, and I just want to read this quote. It says, and this is how we're so much, I think, like the Corinthian church. Every Sunday we gather in a multi-million dollar building. Well, we don't. Uh, we meet in a theater, but it would be worth quite a bit. But many churches do. But, but, so, but we still don't get off. Just listen to this. Every Sunday we gather in a multi-million dollar building with millions of dollars in vehicles parked outside. We leave worship to spend thousands of dollars on lunch before returning to hundreds of millions of dollars worth of homes. We live in luxury. Meanwhile, the poor man is outside our gate and he is hungry. And so oftentimes that can be us. And so Paul is informing them of the churches in the north. And, and the churches in the north we're very different, and, and um, if we could just, and as you see on the screen there, once again, you see the northern churches, the Macedonian churches, he was particularly pointing out the church in Berea, Thessalonica, and Philippi. These were churches in the north, and, and these were really difficult churches. This is where things were not going so well for them. This region, the north region, was very poor, where Corinth in the south was very rich. And for years, the reason why they were poor is that they had been squeezed by a very corrupt Roman rule. And there wasn't a lot of trading. There wasn't a lot of economic kind of uh, activity taking place. And so in verse 2, it says, in a severe test of affliction. That word severe, encourage you to underline that. That means mega or massive. In a mega massive test test of affliction, that word, the phrase test of affliction refers to precious metals being tested in the fire or grapes being put through the wine press, getting squeezed. These people were being pressed in a mega, in a massive way. It says their extreme poverty, their test of affliction, but notice it didn't stop them from being joyful, from being joyfully generous. And see, as grace-filled Christians God just didn't go and change their lifestyle or their circumstances. All of a sudden, because they put their faith in Jesus Christ, it didn't mean that they were just had everything going well financially. God didn't suddenly make them rich and make them prosperous. Instead, he allowed them to suffer and to go through these hard times. But what he did was that he changed their hearts. He changed their perspective. He, he allowed them to see where true riches really are. They're not in the things of this world. And this is what brought them incredible, extreme abundance of joy. You see, so oftentimes we think we will have joy, we will be happy, we will have peace when we just have a little bit more. 
that, that we can then be generous towards God and towards others when we get through this trial. Or we think, I'll be generous, I'll give to God, I'll give to others when I get through school, when I get a job, when I pay off the car, when I pay off the loans, when I pay off the credit card, when I pay off the house. Then I'll be generous. Or maybe it's when, we, Melden, I, I was meaning to get, you know, kind of a little more generous in my life, but, you know, once this pandemic is over and if God pulls me through, I will then be generous. You see, oftentimes when we are in a trial of affliction, and I don't think many of us have been to the point of where the Macedonian churches have been, Oftentimes, our first thought and practice is, is to circle the wagons, become more conservative, more cautious, you know, just start making the minimum payment on the credit card, or we hoard, or we hold on to things, and, and we, we make sure that we're looked after. Now, now it is important that we take care of our families, and, and, and I'm not saying that, that we live recklessly, but we take it to a selfish extreme so oftentimes, and we're not generous, like what we've seen in this pandemic, this literal run on toilet paper. It's so crazy. Um, now, apparently, the new thing that is running off the shelves like crazy is, is hair dye. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess people are going to start dyeing their own hair because, and, and I thought of this all on my own, and I wish we had the laugh track because I think it's actually kind of funny. Make sure your roots won't find you out. Hey, that's pretty good, isn't it? Yes. Um, anyways, uh, I can't wait till we meet again because some of us are going to be pretty shaggy and some of you will have uh, interesting hair. Anyways, uh, but ball caps and, and scarves can be worn, I'm sure. Anyways, uh, we tend to, to hoard and we circle the wagons and we become conservative and we can oftentimes become very stingy when we go through difficult times financially. And again, I'm thankful for the leadership in our church, for our elders. And uh, a few months ago, before, again, COVID-19 was even a, a thing on, on our horizon, back in, I think it was January or early February, we committed to make a sizable donation um, to get behind a church plant for the Great Commission Collective Church that we are trusting God to plant in Red Deer, Alberta. And, and something we've been sharing with and talking to you folks about, and we thought, hey, they need financial support. And, and so we came with a, a generous donation that we decided that we would give and we would commit to over this year. And, and, um, but that was before the pandemic. And so what do we do? We, we've got to take care of ourselves, and yet we had made a commitment. And I appreciate the elders' leadership in this and in just, again, just saying, hey, we made a commitment, we're going to give. We're going to give to God, and we're going to see this through. And so oftentimes, when things are tight, we become less generous towards the Lord's work. And yet the Macedonian church, the churches in Berea and Thessalonica and Philippi, things were tough, very difficult for them, and yet they gave generously and joyously. And then thirdly, we see grace, not guilt giving, is proportionate, eager, and sacrificial. For they gave, verse 3, it says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and, and beyond their means of their own accord. They were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. 
See, it says they gave according to their own means. That means they gave proportionately. Now, what do you mean by proportionate giving? What amount did they give? What percentage? You see, so oftentimes we think in that way, and, and, and oftentimes we hear the word tithe. And the word tithe gets tossed around um, in church circles oftentimes. I remember when I was a young pastor, we had a, a couple come to us, and they were new believers, and they said, hey, can you tell us what this teething thing is all about? And I'm like, teething? I, I don't know what you're talking about. And they meant tithing. Now, a tithe means 10%. And that was an Old Testament term and a practice. It was a requirement for God's people to give 10%. In in actuality, however, the Israelites would give more than that. Um, They would give more than one tithe. They would give one tithe of 10% that would go to the priests and the Levites, kind of like a temple tax, if you would say. They would have to give that annually. Also annually, they would give another tithe, another 10% for celebrations and gatherings and festivals. That was a big deal for the Israelite people, for God's people. And so 10% for that and what a party those, those were for them. What a time of celebration. But then also every three years, they would give another 10% for the poor, for the orphans, for, for widows. So basically, if you do the math, that was basically averaged out to 23% a year. That's Old Testament tithing. Now, in the New Testament, we don't see the word tithing as a requirement for God's people. And you're like, woohoo! Uh, there's no God tax in the New Testament. Now, 10% is often practiced by God's people even today. For some, it is a goal to work towards. Some, it is a a starting point or a guide. And and there are God's people who give more than 10% of their income, but there's no percentage requirement that we see in the New Testament. Again, study 1 Corinthians 16 and what we see here even in the Macedonian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 here, we see through the New Testament, we see the teaching of Jesus, we see very much that it is to be sacrificial, that our giving is to be prayerful, it is supposed to be free will, not compelled, not forced, not guilted. It's to be joyful, eager, proportionate. And I encourage you to to study what God's word has to say about that in the New Testament. Now, in some ways, it would be really easy for me to say, and some of you would want to hear a 10% percentage or a certain percentage. And, and why do I land at that? Because statistics show that most Christians in North America give way less than 10%. And that if Christians, God's people in North America gave sacrificially, gave an average of 10%, our churches would have a lot of, there would be church plants that we would be able to finance in some incredible ways. But that's not grace giving. The New Testament is about grace giving. Forcing people, telling people. Some churches, I've even heard where they post the amounts that people give annually in an annual report or on a bulletin board. That's guilt giving. That's legalistic. That's pressure giving. And that's not New Testament giving. You see, the Macedonian church, they gave proportionally. They had very little. They didn't see their giving as a percentage as a certain tax that they would have to give. Yet out of their great poverty, it says that they gave with great joy, with great sacrifice, and it says they gave even beyond their means. In fact, they were begging Paul to give. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing to, for any pastor or church leader to have people like, oh, please, can we just give money? Can we give money to the church? Can we give money to finance this? Can we give money to plant a church? And, and, and here is our sacrificial gift. 
They were begging Paul for this because you know what? They came to believe God's word. They came to believe what Philippians chapter four, verse 19 says that they believe that God would indeed supply all their needs. You know, years of church, years ago in a church where we were at, we went into a major building project. It was greatly needed. We tried putting it off and finally we had to bite the bullet and we knew it would be costly and it would require great sacrifice. And we called our people to great prayer and great sacrifice And we asked people to give over and above, sacrificially, their regular giving. I remember one afternoon, one of the senior ladies in our church pulled up to the church office in a very beat-up, old, rusted-out minivan. She had just lost her husband suddenly to a heart attack about a year before that. And we all knew that she had very, very little She came and saw me in my office, and in a brown envelope, I'll never forget it, she slapped it down on my desk, and it was an envelope of cash. Now, I didn't count it, because it is not my position at all for me to know what people give. But she told me that this is my life savings. She said, this is all the money that my husband and I had, but God laid it on my heart to give it all for this church expansion. And I got tears in my eyes and I said, no way, Uh uh-uh, forget it, we're not taking it, no way, you need this money, no way. Rusted out old vehicle, they didn't have a lot of money. She says, I'll just take on a few more cleaning jobs. God will take care of me. And you know what God did? And God continues to take care of her. She's not rich when it comes to money, but boy, she is rich in so many other ways. It was in that season that for Charlotte and I, we also prayed and committed to a certain, for us, a very stretching amount that we would give over and above our regular giving. And and we kind of determined that it would be, well, I guess this means we're going to buy or or have to drive this beater old truck that we had, uh, we're hoping we would be able to trade in for something a little bit newer. And we said, okay, we want to honor God in this. And again, God came through for us. God came through for this dear sister, and he came through for many others during that time. And I believe God is calling his church not just for special projects, but he's calling us to be generous, sacrificial, joyful givers. Next week, Lord willing, um, I may share kind of what some of the blessings look like on the other side of that commitment. And some of you would have some great stories in your own life where you have sacrificed, where you've given to God and God has blessed and God has come through. Now, now grace giving does mean that at times there will be a pinch financially for us. It will mean sacrifice. We may have to go without for a season or maybe forever certain things that we had wanted. You see, so oftentimes we want God to supply our needs and our wants and our greeds, and once he does, then we'll get back, we'll start giving back to him. Or, or maybe sometimes our attitude is, how much can I give and, and still feel kind of okay with God? You know, like, just kind of get him off my back and kind of make me feel not guilty about it. Or, or it's maybe like this, I'll give God, you know, 5, 10, 12, 15, whatever percent, and then the rest of mine is to enjoy and do whatever I want. All of those are wrong. That isn't grace giving. That's not understanding what God has done. You see, it's understanding that all we have is from God. Our jobs, our money, our abilities, that's all God's grace to us. 
But you might be saying, but yes, but I trained, I worked, I slaved, I studied, I achieved, I invested, I did all of these different things. And, and, and if it wasn't for my ability, there's others who were off busy having fun, but I was working hard and I've gotten to this place. Who gave you that ability? In fact, who is allowing you right now to continue to keep breathing the air that you are breathing? That is God. That is his grace. He owns it all. It's all his grace. He's the owner, and we are the managers. We are the stewards of it. The Macedonian church has got this. The Corinthian church didn't. And we see here that they, and, and it's all because they gave themselves first to God. It was a daily reminder, God, I'm yours. God, what I have is yours. My time, my treasures, my talents, my ability. God, I'm yours. And he says he, they gave themselves first to God and then they gave themselves to the needs that were around them. And this caused them to be conduits of God's grace and God's generosity. And we're still talking about them today. Fourthly, we see that grace, not guilt giving, is a vital test of our maturity in Christ. Look at verse six. It says, accordingly, we urge Titus. Now, I'll just stop there for a second. Now, Titus uh, was, one, was the one carrying these letters for Paul to the Corinthian church. And he, along with some others, would be there to receive and then help deliver the offering to the church in Jerusalem. In fact, much of the rest of this chapter talks about the accountability factors that, that Paul was putting in to this offering. When it comes to the handling of offering, Paul wanted to make sure he was squeaky clean because he would get accused um, by people for taking their money. And he's like, I don't want to have any false accusations. And as a church, I'm so thankful that when we started five and a half years ago, that our sending church that was looking after our finances and, 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 and guiding us in that, sometimes some of their procedures and guidelines honestly seemed over the top. And some of our tellers who know all about that would say, amen, it did. But we're so thankful for the accountability structure that they put in. And now, as we're autonomous and, and we have our finance team and we have tellers, again, there are safety procedures in place so that, that we can't, see the misuse of funds, but also the embezzlement of funds. And we're just so thankful for that. So, so continuing on here, accountability is important. According we, in verse six, accordingly we urge Titus that, that as he started, so he should complete among us, among you, this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. You see, Paul is telling them, finish the job. You see, we just can't pick and choose our obedience. I'll serve God, but I'm not going to give financially to him. He can have my time. He's not going to have my money. No, it, it's, it's, it's an all-in thing. And Paul is saying, you guys made the commitment this is what it means to be a person who's experienced God's grace is now complete this act of grace. You made a commitment, follow through with it. And notice how encouraging Paul is to the Corinthians. He's not angry. He's not bashing them. Yes, he's using the, the Macedonian people as an example. And, but he's so encouraging. He says, hey, just as you have been excelling as a church, you've grown so much, you're doing so well in all these other areas of the Christian life. And let's face it, in 1 Corinthians, it was a pretty nasty church. There were some pretty crazy things going on there. It was pretty messed up. 
but they're changing and they're growing and, he, and Paul sees it and he's encouraging them. And he says, just as you are excelling and you're so passionate and zealous, you're growing in your faith, you're, you, in your speech, you're, you're speaking the gospel with boldness, you're growing in your knowledge, your love for truth and doctrine, that's so awesome, your love for one another, keep it up, this is so good. Now keep going, church, excel in this grace of giving as well. And today, church, I want to encourage you in the same way. We have been so blessed in the last five and a half years with many people rolling up their sleeves to commit to a set-up and a take-down, church-in-a-box kind of setting, and so many behind the scenes and, and people serving in so many different capacities, so oftentimes with such zeal and passion for the Lord. It's been fun to watch. It's been fun, it, it's been hard and, and tiring at times, but it's so fun to watch, to see the growth and the development of the body of Christ. And even now, we get a little pause and a reset, but keep on going. I trust that when COVID-19 is over, that we will have many more people in our church because they have come to faith during this time, that we get to grow and, and, and see them grow in Christ and see them discipled, that, that we would see more people serving in different areas of ministry, but that we would also excel in the gift of graceful generosity to God, in sacrificial giving. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about the blessing that comes from grace giving. And, and some of those blessings are literally out of this world, and some of them are here in this world. Folks, we don't give to get. We give because God has given so much. God wants to, and God promises to bless us in so many ways. And bless families and bless our community and our cities and our region as we are generous in all areas and excel in all these areas of our lives. Just encourage you to bow your heads at this time for a time of reflection and, and a time then in prayer. With your heads bowed and just kind of thinking over what we've talked about here this morning, I would just encourage you to do a quick inventory. And I wonder today, how does your spending you're saving, you're investing, you're giving. What does it say about your heart? What does it say about your priorities? Is God getting your first and your best? Or is he just getting some, some leftovers or maybe nothing at all? And I wonder today, what does perhaps another question, what does my money reveal about what I love the most? Where my trust is, is my trust in my finances, in my career, in my reputation. And about what kingdom we're living for. Are we living for his kingdom? We're living for our kingdom here on this earth. And some of you, you're faithful givers, and that's great. But maybe your giving has just kind of become more of a financial transaction, like a little bit of a formula. God gets this amount, and then I get to do whatever I want with the rest of it. Does God have it all? Surrender it and offer it to him today. And some of you have, uh, you've never given, or else it's been kind of hit and miss when there's a little bit left over. I just want to encourage you and remind you that in this passage today, but also Jesus in his teaching, 
and through his example, he calls us to a life of generosity. And that life of generosity will lead to unmeasured joy, nothing that this world can offer or give. And would we not live in stinginess and fear and circling the wagons, but in generosity and faith, knowing God will supply and meet our needs. And so, God, we just thank you that you demonstrated that generosity to us. And there are things, kingdom principles that go to work here that don't make sense on um, a financial sheet. It doesn't make sense to our banker. It doesn't make sense in our own mind or our own thinking, but God, you're so willing and ready to bless your people and to fill us with joy, just like the Macedonian church who were poor. God, would we see that without you and without being generous, we have a poverty about us and that we would desire to live for eternal and kingdom riches. And God, we just thank you for your blessing over us as a church and for families and, and, and even over this nation. We are so blessed in so many ways with the way that even through this hardship and this hard time, um, that, that there's provision. And even as would we finish well, even in our food drive um, later today, that we would just see the generosity that you've given to us and we would just perhaps even hit the stores or hit, hit our shelves in a, in a newer way um, with, with a greater endeavor and fill up trucks for the gospel mission and, and for those who are in need. And God, would generous giving be a solid characteristic of your people here in this church and of your people around this world. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.